the call to evangelization discipleship starts with the people that you hire. It starts with the way you onboard them. And that's really where we wanted to take the conversation today. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave Digital Shabbat Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? Digital Shabbat Van Vickle. I'm good. I'm not on a digital Shabbat, as can be seen, because I'm on (laughs) Skype and using all the things on my computer. All the things you know nothing about. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You know, it's really funny. Uh, Every so often, and by every so often, I try to make it every single time. I try to catch you when I do the introduction so that you laugh, and then I end up laughing. Yeah. It's well, been good. Well, we've, well, we've been on time, a streak. Yeah. Well, this time you you like basically were like finished the end of a sentence, didn't even get to the period, and you're like, "Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. To every knee shall bow." Yeah. How'd you, how was your Father's Day? This is the day after Father's Day that we're recording. This is the day after Father's Day. Uh, we owed this audio to our <laughs> producer a week ago. Well, Whoopsie, d- sorry. but to be fair, we were recording, and then yeah. Oh man, Let Gomer me th- lost okay, his I'll- internet privileges. <laughs> So I'll do the Father's Day thing, and then I'll tell you about the recording thing that happened. It was nuts. Um, so Father's Day was awesome. I wake up, slept in, you know, like an hour, and then the, uh, my wife brought me coffee in bed. All the kids came, gave Daddy a hug, and my wife gave me my uh, Father's Day present, which is um, an uh, an icon of Saint Joseph the Worker. And like the child Jesus is standing on top of a woodworking bench, and I love woodworking, and he's cool. wearing his woodworking apron. So it was really cool, and all my kids wrote me a little note and all that stuff. And then it was just a day of self-indulgence. I did whatever the heck I wanted, watched a lot of YouTube, and did some reading. Bishop Barron has a, um, they have a new book on apologetics that just came out, and uh, so I was reading through some of that, and it's been, it's been nice. It's been nice. Yeah, I did. I, it was great. It was great. We went to evening mass. My wife made cheesecake, because I love cheesecake. I saw the picture. Yeah, she made a gluten-free cheesecake, and it was Ooh, delicious. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, and I had lasagna. All my kids are, like, gluten and lactose-free, so lasagna, which is my favorite food, that and steak, very rare in my life. So I had it. I had an entire sheet worth of lasagna. Basically. I also like lasagna. That's yeah. It used to be nice. one of my favorites, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, what good. about you? What would y'all do? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Amber's still sick, so it was just, like, kind of a pretty normal day, but, uh, you know, just went to Mass with the family had that whole thing and it was cool there's a there's a mass here in town it's downtown where where, which is where my boss is so i went to Mm. this mass at 10 a.m and it's like almost all the people who go to my kids school go to this one mass so it's nice you know everybody's outside afterwards and everything so nice this priest so he is like very very much into works of mercy and you know working with the poor and he works with this group in they're in Jamaica and Haiti and all kinds of places like that, but uh, it's called the Mustard Seed Communities. Probably yes, a lot yeah, of people very familiar. Yeah. yeah. So he he goes down there all the time and is is very close with that ministry and has has a, a a group here that fundraises for them. But anyways, he runs like the soup kitchen here for the diocese. Oh, very cool. Okay. And then they just opened this awesome thing. Um, it's called Brother Andre's Cafe. And it's like an awesome coffee house, like really awesome coffee, awesome cookies and muffins. And 
great stuff like that in a cool atmosphere in their parish hall, huh. which is right next to like the where the the arena where the Penguins play. So it's like a busy area, yeah. but it's run by kids with disabilities. So it's so cool. So like when we went in yesterday, it was like he was like Max, this is where you're gonna work, you know, pretty soon, you know, because Max is in a wheelchair and Max was like so excited. It's it's neat. Like they really oh, do. that's awesome. That's yeah. so life giving. You know, we, oh my I work gosh, with, yeah. My wife yeah, is she has such a huge place in her heart for special needs kids. Always has. Um, and our parish has done a great job. Um, we call it our adaptive needs ministry, Amazing Grace. And one of the cool things that happened in when I was the youth minister back in the days, we had these kids who were basically my age, but um, had a handful of mental um, disabilities and whatnot and delays and all, all different stuff. And they had a, a really strong community of friends, right? So they had gone to the Woodlands High School. They went to the local community college and took those kind of classes and stuff. But every Sunday for like four years, they would come to high school youth group. Cause that was about, they were about freshmen mature or um, mental capacity was about, you know, somewhere in middle school, early right. high school kind of thing. And, um, but they were such a good group of kids. And one day I had this dad walk up and he was in tears and he's like, I have to meet this guy named Gomer. I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Hi, how are you? Can I help? And I saw he was crying. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? Is there something wrong? And he goes, I just want to shake the hand of the man that got my son to not watch WrestleMania. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, my boy is obsessed with WrestleMania, that's obsessed funny. with wrestling, all this stuff. He goes, I hate it, but, you know, he doesn't have a lot in his life. Like, right, right. he's not like the other kids his age. I always feel bad. Well, he fell in with this group of kids that all come to life night. And WrestleMania was here in Houston and we had tickets and he had me sell the tickets back so that he could go to life night. Wow. That's and awesome. he goes, and he goes, and here's the crazy thing. He's like, we're not even Catholic. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, and he's like crying. He's like, I, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. He gave me a big old hug. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you, it's about you. It's not yeah. me. <laughs> it's not, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so yeah, so me and Dave, we wanted to kind of ride the wave of um, a very practical talks for people in parishes. They could also work for for other things, but yeah, really trying to yeah. yeah, really trying to hire people who want to change the world. And like, what what do we mean by that? We mean by people who are on fire with the the call to mission, right? Evangelization, discipleship. You know, Pope Francis is um, one of the Vatican dicasteries produced this document on um, parish renewal. Dave, I don't know. Did you see that document? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. 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 So, and the whole thing, he says, if you're going to renew a parish, there's only one principle that you can renew it around, and that's mission. That's being on mission. You know, and that is obviously, if you want to understand the heart of Pope Francis from the Aparecida document, you know, his controversies with the Jesuits, all that stuff is to live this authentic mission. And um, the call to evangelization discipleship starts with HR, right? Like it starts with the people that you hire. It starts with the way you onboard them. And that's really where we wanted to take the conversation today. And it's very apropos for us because I am going to be onboarding two youth ministers. We're going to have a part-time uh, wedding coordinator uh, employee who's going to come on board and just work with brides leading right up to their wedding day. And it's a lot of, it's so much stuff that goes on. Every piece of paper is tied to a person, but man, sometimes it feels like you're just drowning in the paper. So we want to help people train them for a proper vision of how to how to how to engage an employee, a new employee, so that they save the world, kind of thing. Yeah, 
Awesome. I think, you know, starting with the practical nitty gritty, yeah. I would, before they even get there, prepare a four week schedule for them. Mm-hmm. And I would say that, look, for the first four weeks, this is the schedule that I want you to follow. And, and I would very clearly say to them, it's not that I don't trust you or anything like that, but I want you to kind of understand what I'm expecting out of this and out of you in this job and give them a schedule of how you think they can accomplish what they need to accomplish. This does a few things. First of all, you know, just remember a lot of church employees are hired right out of college. A lot. Like, uh, I can't remember what percentage it was, but I did read a percentage one time and it was super high. Okay. So people don't know. They don't know if they, if they have any experience in work, it's usually not in an office job or an office setting like this. Uh, so they need to understand like, well, what, what is appropriate amount of time to spend on certain things? And I would give them that and just say, look, I'm not always going to be on you like this. I'm not always going to be kind of a tyrant in this way, but I want for the first four weeks, I want to see that you can follow a schedule like this so that we can work on what we need to work on. And, and believe me, at the end of these four weeks, uh, we're going to sit down and you're going to tell me what worked and didn't work for you. And we're going to discuss this out because what I see so often with uh, onboarding new people is they gravitate immediately to what they love. They spend seven hours of the day doing what they love. And then they spend one hour a day doing what needs to be done. And and that can be really problematic. I'll give you an example, yeah. Gomer. And this is the classic youth minister example. So youth ministers don't, <laughs> don't hate me after You're this. You're about to describe me. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so many youth ministers, so many youth ministers have side jobs that are in marketing. So many of them. And they love graphic design and they love to make signs and things like that. So I've had several youth ministers who have spent all day use making signs for their events and making cool graphics for their things and stuff like that and branding their their youth ministry and then like one hour doing other stuff, you know? Yeah. And and it's like if you could just teach them at the beginning, like, well, no, there's other important things and we gotta fit it in correctly, it will help immensely. Yeah. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with new hires, the biggest mistake with new hires that people make is they do not take the time to onboard them from things like mission and vision, like what's their vision as a company uh, or, you know, organization or parish or whatever, because it's kind of presupposed like, oh, yeah, we're here to represent the church and give Jesus the sacraments and blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Don't presuppose it. Don't presuppose any of that stuff. But also what happens is the nitty gritty details also get left out. Like, where is the copy room? How do like what are your expectations for phone calls? What are your expectations for how do I make a facilities request? Is it my responsibility to lock up at the end of the night or will someone do that? So one of the big things um, that I keep harping on is. The, it has to be that full thing. Aver- the average U.S. company spends four to six weeks onboarding employees, and I think we need to have that same attitude. Absolutely. Uh, getting back to what Gomer was saying about you know onboarding with vision and mission, I think this is so incredibly important and so rarely done. Uh, and what happens is uh, whether it's a DRE, uh, maybe a director of evangelization, a um, could be director of liturgy, could be a youth minister, any of these positions, or or even in a nonprofit, what you're what you're setting up is competing cultures when you don't communicate the culture that you expect. So you find this a lot in parishes. I, I talk to priests all the time about this, and they'll say like, "Well, it just seems like we're all going in different directions," and it's clear that they are because the priests usually take a very hands-on approach 
to liturgy and that part of it and finance oftentimes. And then they kind of let go the other things like adult faith formation, youth ministry. They let those run themselves. We we don't want that, right? We want we want the parish as a whole to have a culture that says something complete and cohesive. Uh, and so what we want is all of those things to be going in the same direction. This is why it's so important. So how do we do this? Well, the first thing before you hire a new employee, you better sit down and think about what you want to communicate as a parish, right? You need to know the vision, the mission ahead of time. And and I want to stress to you, especially if you're priests, right? So many of you, uh, you know, I know, I don't know if it's in seminary or where this comes from, but you're so, you're almost too collaborative in in the fact that uh, you will involve your your parish councils and everything in writing missions and visions. And the the only problem with that is, if it's collaborative and, and authentically in an authentic sense, that's great because that means you were involved. But if you're just allowing them to to craft it and kind of run with it, what happens is oftentimes you have a different vision and mission than the actual parish's mission and vision that they adopted. So sit down and look at that and really dig into it before you hire a new employee. Once you once you know that every everything's you know firing in the same direction, everything like that. Then you can sit down and say, okay, this is how I'm going to communicate this to my new employee. And and my recommendation to you is if you're a director or if you're a pastor and you don't have directors, so if, if people are reporting directly to you, that for the first six months, you you plan almost three hours a week to sit sit with them, right? Uh, three meetings a week. And, and maybe one of those could be about prayer, um, praying together could be just a holy hour or something like that. One of them could be uh, some sort of a book study. And I, I do recommend that, that you do uh, maybe possibly Forming Intentional Disciples where you read and discuss it. And then maybe uh, it could be uh, Soul of the Apostolate or a book that you know is really important to your parish. I, I would recommend three hours. And then the other, the, uh, the last hour, the third hour, would just be communicating that vision and mission to the person, okay? Um, now, listen, I said three hours, and you're going to think like, man, that is a massive part of my schedule. This is important, sitting with this person. And you don't necessarily, if you're if you're doing some kind of a book study or something like that, it doesn't have to last an hour. But book that hour off with those people. Last thing I want to say about this, very common, very common for a new employee uh, to spend tons of time with a pastor in a social sense. Okay. If you're going to do that, I think that's great. That's fine. Like a lot of pastors will take their, you know, youth ministers out to lunch, out to dinner or whatever, you know, I think that's great. If you want to do that, what I would say is that doesn't count as your three hours a week. Okay. Because uh, it becomes more social. Okay. You want to have this to be intentional an intentional time where you communicate which direction the parish is going so that they can then start to wrap their heads around. Okay. How do I fit in that? in that way with the youth ministry. Yeah. And big things around communicating the life and mission of the church is you have to have your own vision. Like <laughs> this is going to be talked immensely okay, about it. Yeah. So when you're communicating the vision of the church, it's done in, in, you got to look at it. My way of doing it is the, the 50,000, right? The 10,000 foot view and then the on the ground level, right? Like, what is the big sweeping? What is the more proximate? And then what's the immediate? And by working people through this, by working them through this whole approach, you can actually kind of produce the results that you're looking for, right? Because as a just focusing on the parish, 
all of the lay people and all of the other people that serve at a parish are extensions of the pastor, right? And if they don't carry your vision, um, if they're not like fully trained on it, then it's not going to be your vision. And without a vision of people perish, you're going to be a house divided against itself and it ain't going to stand. Then you're going to have a lot of conflict. But if people are all uh, vision wise on the same page, then it's going to be you're going to see efforts multiplied, what the good business literature calls synergy, synergy. a word I hate, but it's, it's still applicable. Yeah. yeah. I think I think the most genius thing that Gomer just said was the, you know, he said, what would you say, 50,000 feet, 10,000 feet, and then the on the ground. Yeah. I, I cannot tell you how many parishes I've worked with that have spent years, months, and even years crafting the 50,000, the 10,000, and left alone the practical on the ground yeah. stuff that yeah. they just think it's going to organically seep into it. And it doesn't, it's not that way. You have to set milestones. You have to have values set aside for your employees that they can, they can literally say, how would the parish do this? You know, how do we mm -hmm. do this? Okay, Dave, let me ask you a question real quick yeah. for those who are listening that work at a parish. So a pastor, a parochial vicar, but they don't have a staff. Right. So we're coming at it from the mega church suburban. What about the guy who has volunteers? Yep. How would you because you still want them to carry the mission and the vision, but you don't yep. have that leverage of I, we get to spend three hours a week. You know, well, yeah. how would you adapt it for those fine folks? Yeah, I would do almost exactly the same thing, but less time. Almost exactly the same yeah. thing. I would be as I am just as serious with my employee, with my volunteers as I am with my employees. Yeah. Now, you're right. You don't have that leverage, but uh, sometimes it works out better. I found yeah, because they're joining for the mission, yeah, right? like joining for that reason. Yeah, and and not only that, but a lot of times volunteers are bringing with them incredible, incredible years of experience and talent that you know a new person out of college doesn't have. Yeah, um, I I I can't stress that enough. I really yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah. So then where do we go next when we're talking about training people? What do you think is a solid next step for um, what? Let's just keep this fictional person, someone out of college. It's got a lot of zeal, a lot of faith, but they need the focus. You, we could call him Yousef, the youth minister. Um, <laughs> um, a case study, Yousef, case the youth minister. Youth. Yeah, I think uh, the next thing you want to do. And again, I'm, I'm just speaking from pitfall experience of parishes <laughs> I've worked with is I think a big part of their training has to do with inner office communications. Mm -hmm. Where do you expect them to request things from secretaries? Where do you expect them to request liturgy things from you? Where do you expect them to request, you know, meetings, this kind of thing? How do you do all that? Do you do it by email? And if you do it by email, do you stress to those people that, Email has very little context associated with it, so you can't get angry because of tone in an email. Uh, do, you, do you really build a culture of communication? And I think this is so important because this is where, like kind of Gomer mentioned, like, you know, the, the practical on the floor, it's not the 10,000 feet. This is where the ball gets dropped in so many cases that the parish does not communicate well. And I think you should literally sit down with them and say, like show them the flow of communication in the sense that, okay, uh, Gomer has an event coming up. How does he work with the director of communications? How does he work with 
his own people? How does he work with this, these people? And show them exactly the flow of communication because it, I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but it is such a major issue. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many parishes I've gone into to work with like either a staff retreat or, and Gomer will say this too. I mean, this is universally true or, or just doing consulting with them where there are certain employees that literally don't speak to each other oh. because of communication oh, oh, oh. issues. Yeah. You know, oh, that yeah. is, that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. Yeah. And, and it's I start singing, they, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Mm, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we invite you in here now. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that was me pretending to be a praise and worship leader. Um, the experience, my bone chilling experience was when I walked around an office that I was hired at and no one liked each other. Yeah. And I didn't know that until after I was hired. I knew a little bit. And so, and I've said this before, but I I made it my mission every day for 45 minutes to an hour after lunch, I would meet one person a day and I would just talk to them. And by the end of that, really what had happened was you had communication breakdown, you had several pastors and it had gone through several um, pastors who were only there for a handful of months and then left for all sorts of different crazy reasons. But you have this experience of staff in the absence of strong leadership People filling in gaps and yep. ignoring other people and championing only their own programs. Right. But then you also had pastors who didn't want to hire well. So they put the right people in the wrong seats on the bus. Right. So you had a person who couldn't stand kids, literally could not stand kids in charge of children's ministry to the point where we had adults who would complain all the time. Like, can she just stay in her office? She's great with the adult volunteers, but when she walks the hall, all the little kids are terrified of her, <laughs> but the adults loved her and not the parents, but the adults that were like the catechists and stuff. So then she shifts over into adult faith formation and she crushes it. Yeah. But that was because of building rapport within the staff that did not have it. I mean, didn't have it at all. And that goes back to a lack of shared vision, all of that stuff, but also just as basic as when do we communicate these things? So, right. for instance, right. a simple line of communications, a weekly – we had a small enough staff at that place that you could do a weekly all-hands meeting for the people that were in charge, the decision makers. But because no one liked meetings, what would happen is – Everyone would just argue and fight over facilities. So, like, I'm going to have this room. No, I registered for it. And then they would, like, do all sorts of stuff. And it was, like, World War Three over, like, the classroom that has the nice, you know, that's closest to the bathrooms, you know, or whatever right. it was. Right. And it was just, it's just constant. Or things weren't returned the way they should have been at the end of your session. So I had to pick up all your crap and blah, 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 blah. So big things like that. Um, like, how do you request space? How uh, how far in advance do you need to you know yeah. request a room? What rooms belong to you by default? Like if you have a youth room and you're the youth minister, is that by default yours, or can other people request the space? Or you know, it's stuff like that that gets ahead of problems and yeah. makes them non problems, right? That's why the ground level stuff matters so much. Yeah, it is. I've I've been I've been in so many issues where this is where it all breaks down. Yeah. So so really just an overview and a very practical look at how to communicate inner inner office things. If and and I want to just stress one thing. It really shouldn't be at a weekly staff meeting. Uh, the parish moves too fast, okay? So yeah. weekly staff meetings should be big picture stuff. It should right. not be the nitty-gritty kind of thing, okay? Mm-hmm. It it moves too fast for that. The next thing I would say, and I think a lot of people might disagree with me on this, but it was important to me, is to outline and to tell them how you expect 
uh, them to interact with the parish when they're not working there. Mm. I've always belonged to parishes that I've worked for. And I, I always saw that as part of my job, you know, uh, my family was always a bonus in those situations, you know, like my, my whole family, you know, would do ministry in a sense, uh, yeah. because we'd be at the masses and, you know, and my wife knew what I was working on and she could back me up after mass and, and people would be talking to her and saying things, you know, and, and she was helping to do that. What do you expect from your employee if they belong to the parish? Because, uh, how do you want them to dress when they're there? How do you want them? Yeah. All those kinds of things. They're very, they're very important, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that notion of the dress code has always been a contentious thing in my, it's so funny in Made whatever domain me. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. I always have dress codes for people because I really do believe that number one, we need to overcome the stereotype of youth minister as buddy. That is, that is not helpful. Number two, you got lectors and cantors, right, who are maybe you draw from teenagers or young adults, and they're in the middle of the liturgy, and they're wearing clothes that they would wear when they go out clubbing. Like, there's a fundamental breakdown as to what is happening. You know, Pope Benedict said the best liturgical catechesis is liturgy done well, and when we show disrespect through the way we dress, that reverberates. Now, there was a time in my own life where when I was working this job, it was just like... Yeah, throw on some clothes, show my it, it was a false humility, right? Like I'm yeah. I'm not dressing ugly or gross, but I'm like intentionally wearing uh let me say how how to put this? Shabbier clothes, not like inappropriate, like it's a collared shirts and pants, but they were not as good as they should have been. And I realized like it's that that sends a message. It sends a message that you don't really care, right? So wearing the clothing that makes you look like you care about your job, that's also appropriate. Like all last week I was doing vacation Bible school. So I was in, uh, you know, T-shirt and shorts and throwing water balloons at kids' faces. It was great. No lawsuits yet. Uh, but the, <laughs> the, the experience of navigating your parish life as also your, your work life and your own worship, your own community that is a, a thing to discern, and I think that needs to be made explicit, maybe not in the job interview or in the hiring process, but like if you're going to be an employee here, here are some of the things I expect when you're worshiping or, you know, around. Here's some of the things I don't expect you to do. You're not in charge of the liturgy if you're a youth, you know, like ever. Right. I, I can remember praying after mass, after communion, and a woman shaking my shoulder being like, hey, when is the signups for summer camp? And I'm like, uh no yeah no <laughs> your kids are not going right no. but uh but there's also a big case for a lot of people that they're making especially lately for lay people of do not work at the parish that you attend oh yeah a lot of people are saying that now yeah yeah because you see how the sausage gets made or maybe you just have a conflict with the pastor and then or a deacon or something and then you see him up on the altar and you're like this is killing my soul to receive communion from this person yeah. right so that takes a discernment too whether or not they should yeah. Well, okay. So one, one last thought about this, about behavior in the parish, but outside the job. Yeah. Um, I've had situations where DREs, youth ministers, whatever, uh, they joined everything at the parish as a person, <laughs> as, as just on their yeah. own. And like, I've had to sit down and say like, man, w where were you last week? Like, yeah, you're expected to be here, you know, a, a reasonable amount of hours. And they were like, what do you mean? I was at Nice of Columbus. I did the this. I did that. And I was like, well, yep. that's we didn't hire you for that. That's not that's not what you were hired for. So you got to set out those parameters there. You got to let them know. And and again, 
it's not that you can't stop this once it happens. You can't. But it's much better to head this off at the pass. You know, it's much better mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Laying out expectations clearly and consistently is what will destroy um, conflict, unnecessary conflict before it even happens. Um, one of the nitty gritty ground level details that I tell the people that work for me is um, if someone leaves a voicemail on your phone, you have 12 hours to respond. And if someone sends you an email, you have 24 unless it's you know Friday. Um, and the idea being like if someone's going out of their way to call you, it's easy to fire off random emails. But if someone's going out of your, their way to call you, you really need to to respond to them in a, in a reasonable amount of time. And then the next thing is when they are off, right? I, I am really zealous about this because we all know how church life and church work can own your soul. When you're off, you're off. When you are off, you are off. And I define off if you're in the office and it's office hours, you know, let's say 830 or 430 or nine to five, whatever you might have, and you go home for the day and you don't have an event that night, you're done. If you reply to an email, don't like, like don't your weekends, your holidays, all of that stuff, because people will absorb every inch of your existence. But this is on the managers, right? right. This is on us exactly. to ensure that, uh, that I'm not. And so I tell them all the time, I said, unless there's an emergency, if there's an emergency, I will text or call your cell phone. But other than that, you do not have to respond to emails that are sent, I, uh, my rule of thumb is uh, after four four thirty p.m. Right, like if an email is sent, if a phone call is made, and you're already like you're you're doing your wind down, maybe you leave the office at five or five thirty, and you're doing the wind down. Like I have no expectations that you have to call that person back immediately or whatever. That can wait for the next day. One problem that I had was em- were employees that would take weeks to respond to voicemails. And then because then they come to me and then I have to be like, well, I'm sorry they didn't get back to you. Now I have to schedule a meeting and you got to do that. So just avoid it. Right. You just avoid it. Come up with a routine. Come up with a plan. Make them happen. Yeah, I definitely learned that the hard way. And I will say the one that is the one of the things that I changed that made my life so much easier was Mm. just immediately calling people back immediately, you know, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Uh, The last thing I'll say about these practical things, I'm going, you might have some more thoughts, but I would lay out your, your critique of this, of how you're going to uh, like ongoing, provide them critical feedback. Okay. I would lay out and I would say, so for instance, once a month, I'm going to bring up some things that I want you to work on. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I, it's not that you can't bring those things up any other time, right? If something happens, of course, you address it as a manager. But I think it's really, really important, right? Because what I've seen in church work is that things build up like crazy. You know, they build yeah. up and then it kind of explodes. And what you don't want is for that to happen. So, uh, you know, one of the easiest ways to do this is like, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. It's, it's an ancient book called The One Minute Manager, right? Where he'll oh, yeah. say, you know, for two minutes, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you all the things that I think you're doing well. And then one minute, I'm going to tell you the things that I want you to work on, you know? Here's why I'm saying this, okay? Here's why I'm saying this. We 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 started out this series by saying we want to hire workers who are going to change the world. So, if a worker's not changing the world, find something for them to work on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's what you want, you know. I want I want to improve as an employee. I want my bosses yeah. to tell me where I'm not communicating well enough, where I'm not doing this well enough. You know, I want to 
hear what they have to say. And, you know, I, I, I remember when I first got out of college, I had a job at a big nonprofit organization and everyone there hated my boss, despised him. He was, he was known as like the biggest jerk you could ever imagine. And he was honestly, to this day, he was one of the best bosses I ever had because I always knew what I was doing wrong. Like yeah. he never let things go. He always told me what I was doing wrong. And I, and I, I appreciate that. I'm not saying you have to be like that. You don't have to be like that guy. What I'm saying is it's your job to grow your employees. That's part of it. You know, training and growth is, is part of it. And so don't be afraid, set it up so that they understand this is going to happen. Like it's yeah. not, you're not getting scolded because you got in trouble. That does happen too, but that's not what this is. This is about growth. Yeah. And pastors, I know, I know you did not become a priest so that you could be an HR, uh, you know, director. Uh, a lot of this stuff is so foreign, but uh, I'll tell you what, it's foreign to me too. It really is. It's against my temperament and my, my personality to want to, like, I like being a leader, but I hate the idea of being a manager and, and all the stuff that that entails because there's so many details that I don't want to pay attention to. Guess what happens when I don't pay attention to it? It becomes either A, my responsibility uh, to do it because it's going to fall through the cracks or B, it's cleanup time. And that's 10 times worse. So setting up monthly meetings with key people, whether they're volunteers or full-time people or part-time people and going through what's one new area you're going to work on. What's one area that I see that you need to work on. I love this stuff uh, because I do, I want to be better. I want to right. be better. That's what it means to hire employees who are hungry, right? Like you want them to have theology books. You want them to be reading spirituality. You want them to be reading leadership books, right? Because that means that they're engaged in some measure of self-improvement. Like I'm not, I don't have all the answers. I need to learn, right? That's the humble part. I'm hungry, but I'm also humble. I know that there's a lot you can teach me. And when you have that avenue into people's hearts, that it's scheduled, it takes the majority of the sting away from confrontation. If they know this is the monthly meeting where we work towards these goals, or they tell me an area that I need to work on, or they give me feedback from a parishioner, whatever it might be. It totally removes this thing and enables you to go further faster with them in their in their growth. Yeah. And I'll say uh, just right off the bat, I mean, this is hardest with the newer, the younger employees. Mm -hmm. I don't the, like the millennial curse is confidence from nowhere. You know, like they are so, and so, yeah. so, you know, it's hard, it is hard to deal with. And, and I, I'm sure I was like that. I'm sure I was. So it, you know, it's hard, but, but it becomes a part of the culture and it's, it's great, you know, and especially if you are, if you are saying, here's the critique, it's clear, here's why I'm saying this. And here's what I want you to do over the next month to improve it. That is gonna, it's going to change your parish. Like it, yeah. it really will. It really will yeah. change your parish. Yeah. And, you know, just to let you guys know, I started um, for the first time last week with my people um, full time and uh, all my new staff, like all the people that were now under me in, in terms of pastoral ministry. And uh, the first thing that we did was I printed out part one of on the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. Um, in, uh, father Thomas Winity was one of the first, uh, one of the authors of that document. And we went through the first part. And the idea is not just having the intellectual knowledge, but also the same language around these things. 
Why is it that we're getting more and more people every day who boss us around when it comes to the sacraments yet don't go to mass? How do we deal with that? What language do we use to describe that? You know, Sherry Waddell talks about discipleship, right? Intentional discipleship. How many people coming for the sacraments are disciples? Why are we giving sacraments to people who are not disciples, right? Like, why are we just conveyor belting them, right? To break the conveyor belt and do real ministry, we have to have uncomfortable and bold conversations. And part of that is making sure we know what the church expects of us from the Code of Canon Law, our local diocesan, USCCB, all that stuff, but also the very, uh, the, the theological and biblical nature of the sacraments themselves and of faith formation itself. And so I'm super looking forward to this year and how it will flesh itself out in our, uh, in our sacramental life. I mean, we had, we had a, a, a man scream and yell at us via email because he, his kids go to the Catholic school and they're all making their first Holy Communion. Why isn't my kid making his first Holy Communion? Uh, well, they're not baptized. Number two, you go to a a, a non-denom uh, charismatic church that is extremely anti-Catholic, and uh, and you have never once brought them up in the faith. Also, you didn't even sign up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. it was like nuts. And then every time I tell this guy, and I have tracked with this guy, and he never responds to my emails, <laughs> I invite. I always, I always do the thing. Please come in and let's talk about this. Please come in and let's talk about this. I will yeah. be happy to meet with you at a time that's convenient for your schedule so that when I drop the hammer, I can do it and see that cold look in your eyes as I bludgeon you with it. Just kidding. But <laughs> as I deliver the bad news, but as I give now, I have a chance to evangelize them, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So I, I hope that these have been really practical for you. What we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break for a word from Ascension Press. And uh, when we come back, we'll just uh, kind of uh, follow up on a few things, but here's what we want to do. We want to help a church hire an employee and we'd like to have somebody on. So if you're a priest out there and you know, you're going to have to fill a position and you're a listener of EKSB, give us an email. We'd like to maybe interview you and walk you through this process and help you even to hire someone and find some, some good candidates there. Uh, can be pretty much anonymous doesn't have to be you know out there for everyone all the all the blood and guts there but uh we'd love to help you you know walk through this process so that people can see what it's like uh we'll be back in just a minute do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions at mass you know the liturgy is important, but you get distracted, your heart's not into it, and you want to encounter Jesus more in every prayer and ritual of the liturgy. Hi, I'm Dr. Edward Sree, the author of the newly revised 10th anniversary edition of A Biblical Walk Through the Mass, a small group study for Catholics. Since its original 2011 release, A Biblical Walk Through the Mass has helped hundreds of thousands of Catholics around the world grow in their faith, rediscover the Eucharist, and fall more deeply in love with our Lord in the liturgy. For this revised 10th anniversary edition, we have the same core content, but we film stunning new videos in the gorgeous Cathedral Basilica in Philadelphia, bringing beautiful all-new footage to this beloved study. If you'd like a free preview or to learn more, go to ascensionpress.com slash the mass. Again, for a free preview or to learn more, go to ascensionpress.com slash the mass. One word, the mass. 
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow. Dave, why don't you start us off in our practical takeaways with your big muscles there? Dave keeps flexing every time. I'm, not, I'm stretching. I'm not You're, flexing. Oh, oh, Just oh, I can't help it if they're there. <laughs> they, they fill the camera. My shoulders hurt so bad from the hammering. Uh, we have one practical takeaway for you. This is, this is what we're going to say. If we were to rate your parish's ability on you know hiring employees, finding the right ones, training them, we would if you did all the things we just talked about, we would give you an A, okay? Here's what an A-plus parish would do. This is, this is such a good idea. And honestly, Gomer came up with this, and it's so genius because I can honestly say it made a huge difference in my career on several occasions to do something nice. like that. Go, nice. you, you say it. Come on. You yeah. Say it. yeah. Well, I would just say have a veteran who actually is doing the ministry, who models the mission in the right way. Take that new hire out to lunch, have meetings, do something in an ongoing way where they're imparting to the person the very vision that you want. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The they modeling, don't have, it doesn't have to be at the at the parish. Could be some yeah. other parish. You know, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. Because if they have the sense of mission, number one, it's going to it's going to communicate a life, a witness, a testimony, but also it's not going to be reduced to a gossip section while they're getting to know the players involved, right? Like if you have an outstanding Knights of Columbus ministry in your church, you want to sit down with someone who's worked either with them or is a knight and, you know, spend a lot of time understanding who's who and 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 all that jazz. And so that way you become much more comfortable with your particular ministry, you know, uh, apostolate, whatever it might be, you want the veterans who embody the message to model it to your new people. They are the discipler, right? They are the ones who are discipling your new hire into the mission, right? Or they're the mentor, right? That's what you want. And here's the deal. You trying to do all this stuff, it's a lot. So having key people who can come alongside you and reinforce is the most important thing you can do. Awesome. I hope this has been helpful to you all. As always, this is Every Knee Shall Bow. If you want to get a hold of us, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. And we love to hear from you. God bless you all. And we'll hear, we'll, well, not see you, but you'll hear us next week. (laughs) We'll see your emails when you send them in. Yeah. God bless you all. Stay classy. 